last few weeks, we've uh, begun this, this conversation talking about the Christian cliches, the, the little Christian-y phrases that we often use in our lives and in our conversations. Phrases that are used to bring a, a heartfelt encouragement in the midst of difficult situations or seasons. You know, while these phrases can come from a place of genuine sincerity, they often fail to really find the depth to reach the heart. Sometimes they may feel even just a bit haphazard. You know, these, these, these sayings that we use when, when the conversation takes an uncomfortable turn or we're not entirely sure what to do or say. You know, taking a step further, some of our favorite Christian cliches can come across a bit brash, and sometimes even downright offensive, particularly to those who have not yet found a faith in Jesus or aren't sure in their foundation of who God is. You know, while cliches permeate our society and our culture and are literally a, a dime a dozen, as followers of Jesus, we should be willing to lean into the complexity of community and relationship. You know, community's messy because every one of us is dealing with situations in life that are not simple. They're not easy to comprehend or navigate through. But understanding this posture of leaning in to the messiness of relationship will require an effort to push past the discomfort of listening when we don't have the answer or the time to engage in a conversation or perhaps even the emotional bandwidth. It'll require us to push past the discomfort of grieving with someone when it's the last thing that we would prefer to do, to get emotionally involved, understanding that there's no right thing to say when somebody's experiencing loss or even to eat with somebody who needs a friend. Sometimes our busy days kind of preclude us from being able to take the time away from our schedules to even share a meal with somebody who's just at a, at a place of desperation. And as we continue to unpack these Christian cliches, it's important that we begin to embrace what God may actually desire we say or do when that quick catchphrase Seems to be the easiest answer. Today we take on everyone's favorite response to our idea of how God is calling us to love unbelievers. You guessed it. Love the sinner, hate the sin. Love the sinner, hate the sin. It seems like a, a reasonable phrase. It seems like a reasonable moniker when we look at the world and the evil that exists and we say, how do we engage a sinful world but still love people? Well, we love the sinner. And we hate the sin. You know, as we've seen in the past few weeks, very few of these Christian buzz phrases are actually found in Scripture. You know, elements of the sayings are often shaped by Scripture, but this one's no different. It draws on what we see in Scripture regarding God's wrath response to sin, but it also speaks of Jesus' love for people. So there is a, a biblical context, even though you won't find this particular phrase in Scripture. You know, before we unpack this particular phrase, I wanted to give some thought 
to how this well-known saying might be received by those to whom we're applying it. It was interesting. Gretchen and I were in conversation in the last couple weeks, and I had mentioned that this was one of the topics we were going to be covering and one of the phrases we were going to be dissecting. And she said, I saw, I got an interesting, saw an interesting tweet from a friend that I worked with in, in southwest Portland. And Gretchen and I were up there for four years. She had the, uh, the privilege to work at Tiger Two Alton School District. And she was surrounded by believers and non-believers alike, as all of us are. But this individual um, took exception, this particular phrase. Because just because people don't go to church doesn't mean they don't know what we're saying. So this is what this individual said. Turns out my friends who love to tell me they, quote, hate the sin, love the sinner, in regards to my sexuality, feel very attacked when I tell them I hate the belief, love the believer. It's almost as if that phrase is just an underhanded way to tell someone you actually don't love them. Ouch. Do we understand that sometimes the things we say, sometimes the little catchy phrases that we use that make their way outside of the walls of the church sometimes don't sit well with people? Do we understand that when we say, we love the sinner, we just hate the sin? That those people who are actively involved in what we would call sin might feel a bit judged? Might feel a little less than? Because all too often we tend to miss what's going on in those conversations. So how do we balance this need to hate sin, but find a way to love the people that carry out sinful acts? Perhaps we should start with what Scripture says. Although love the sinner but hate the sin is not found in the Bible, Jude chapter 1, starting in verse 22, contains a similar idea. So if you'd like to, you can flip in your Bibles to Jude chapter 1, verse 22. That's our text for the day. We're going to spend the majority of our time there. Just a brief Scripture, but it represents a passage of Scripture, a letter that Jude is writing to the churches. In Jude chapter 1, verse 22, it says, Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you, God, that you love us. We thank you that you give us the perfect example of what love should look like. Loving people, but hating sin and evil. Father, we, we need your help. We need your understanding. We need your wisdom so that we might better understand how we're called to love people, but to distance ourselves from the evil that exists in the world. So we ask for your help today, Lord. We ask that you would speak to us by your Spirit, and that as we study your Scripture, it would awaken something in our lives, and it would awaken a love for people above all else. God, we thank you for your love, and we're grateful for your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, this is a difficult passage of Scripture to reconcile. According to Jude, our faith and our 
desire to share the good news of the gospel should be characterized by mercy for the sinner and a healthy hatred of sin and its effects. So we're called to love people, but we're called to hate sin. I find this saying, this love the sinner but hate the sin, I, I, I find it to be a bit like my disdain for casseroles. Let me put it to you this way. I don't hate casseroles. I just hate the stuff that's in them. For all of you casserole lovers that I just offended, I apologize. But I'm a visual eater. You have to understand. If there's a, 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 you know, a layer of stuff on top of, of a dish, and I don't know what's in it, I don't want you to be offended, but I'm probably not going to eat it. I love you. I just don't love your casserole. But that's what it's like for me. It's this idea of we're supposed to love people but hate the stuff that's inside of them. So how do we extrapolate that? This letter that Jude writes to believers is one of warning but also of encouragement. The warning is that there are those within the church who are opposing the truth. The majority of the letter that Jude writes is one pointing out the flaws in these false teachings that are coming into the church. Jude spends much of his letter describing those who are threatening the church by actively preaching a gospel of permissive grace. In so many words, basically saying, you can do whatever you want, live however you want, there's grace. You could just keep sinning, and God is good. He'll forgive you. So there's this very dangerous gospel that is being taught, and Jude is calling it out. Jude's primary reason for writing this letter is to exhort the church to stand strong and to contend for the faith. That in the midst of these false teachings, in the midst of this permissive gospel, that we're called to stand firm and contend for the faith that we find in Jesus Christ. To really understand how we're to embrace this balance of love for people and hatred of sin, we need to learn how to respond to Jude's call to contend for the faith. The greatest thing that we need to understand is God's call to love people, to bring his message of hope. And after spending time addressing those who are opposing the faith, Jude turns his attention to challenge us in verse 22 to rescue those who are wandering and lost. That we should be a source of hope. We should be those reaching out. According to the text, there's three things that we need to do. We must be willing to do. The first one is this. We need to be willing to show God's love and mercy to those who are doubting. Have you ever had a doubt about God? Have you ever had a doubt in your faith? Have you ever faced a circumstance that was so dire, that was so impossible that you were like, God, I don't know what you're going to do. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what's going on, but this is not okay. Because those situations and those circumstances have a tendency to show up on our doorstep. Where there's not enough money in the bank account. Where the relationship that we were secure and confident in is falling apart. Or our family seems to be being torn apart at the seams. Where the report from the doctor is anything but good. 
And there's those moments where we find ourselves questioning where God is and why he's allowing these things to happen. And Jude says in verse 22, be merciful to those who doubt. Not, hey, you just got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and just get on with it. This too shall pass. We have to be willing to lean in to the messiness and understand that we all are going to experience doubts. But God's mercy is big enough. Jude reminds us there are many who will doubt the truth that God's character is one of love and his desire is for relationship. There are many who are walking around right now going, there's no loving God. We see it and we hear it all the time. The questions surrounding God go like this, why does a loving God then allow suffering? Does God love everyone or just Christians? Why does God punish people when they sin if he's such a loving God? The doubts and the questions resound. and You don't have to look very far. The interesting thing is we fail to remember that even the heroes of the faith doubted. Even the heroes in the Bible, the ones that we look to for inspiration. Oh, Moses, he had such great faith. David stood before the giant with his sling. Jesus, in the midst of the most dire of situations. But here's what Moses said in Numbers 11.11. Why have you brought this trouble on your servant? He's crying out to God saying, why? Why Why me? I've done everything you've asked me to do. Why are you bringing this trouble on me? Think he was having a moment of doubt? Yeah, probably. Why did I say yes when I was standing in front of that stupid bush? Or David in Psalm 10, verse 1. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? You think this was a moment where he was just feeling the closeness, the intimacy of the Almighty God? No, he's saying, where are you when I'm, when I'm facing trouble? Or Job. We all know Job got a raw deal. But in chapter 7, verse 20 of Job, why have you made me your target? This is the guy that his wife said, curse God and die, Job. Hey, thanks, babe. And here he is in this moment of vulnerability saying, why have you made me your target? I've not turned my back on you. And then Jesus, in Matthew chapter 27, verse 46, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even Jesus, in his most vulnerable moment as he hung on the cross, cried out to Father God, Why have you forsaken me? Do you think Jesus was doubting what he was called to do, to stand in the gap for you and for me? No. But he was struggling with the moment. We're called to show mercy when we find people doubting. 
After all, God showed mercy in dealing with each of us. When we were in our moment of doubt, when we were in our moment of vulnerability, God showed mercy. He sent a son while we were still sinning. And God sent Jesus to come and die so that we could receive forgiveness. Not because we had done all these things right. Not because we had gone down through the checklist and got it all fixed. But because he loved us. He sent Jesus so that we could receive forgiveness. So that we could have relationship with him. And God's love and mercy is continually available as God's work of sanctification is underway. Do you realize you're not perfect? I know. I'm the first one ever to tell you that you're not a perfect person. But God is perfecting each and every one of us as we step into his love and his mercy and his grace as we step into relationship with him. He's changing us day to day. Moving us more and more into his likeness. So while we're not perfect, God's work is being done. And we can find hope in that. While showing mercy is best done with love and compassion and understanding, it can't be void of loving correction. We have to understand that there's evil that exists in the world. We can't turn a blind eye to sin and doubt only that we should address it with care and compassion. We shouldn't walk around judging people. Well, you can't do that. That's your... God is not asking us to be judge and jury. He's asking us to show love and compassion and to speak the truth in love. And to come alongside of people. There was an article I read a number of years ago that, that uh, was called Barbecue First Evangelism. I thought, well, that's an interesting title. And the premise is, is the author, author was, was saying, stop inviting people to your Easter services. Stop handing out postcards for them to come to your 4th of July picnic. Just ask them if they want to come over and have a barbecue in your backyard. Because you'll be blown away at the open doors of people sharing their stories. The walls coming down just a little bit to share their vulnerabilities. And now all of a sudden a relationship has been built. There's an opportunity to speak love in the midst of whatever's going on in their lives. We need to be willing to share love and compassion and care. Show God's love and mercy to those who are doubting. The second thing is this. We need to act with urgency to reach those who are walking toward a hell. The reality is you're either walking toward an eternity with God or an eternity without Him. We believe that the Bible is clear that there is a hell and a heaven. We believe that, that we will go someplace after this life is over. We don't believe that there's versions of heaven like, oh, you get to go into the, the baseline heaven, you know, because you were a pretty good person and you did some good things. And then there's a medium heaven that's a little bit better. And if you, if you were really a, a philanthropist and you gave a lot of money away, then you go into the, the, the pretty awesome heaven. And if you were just, you know, perfect as you walked around the earth, then you go into the, 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 the seriously awesome heaven. That's not how it works. <laughs> we believe we either spend an eternity with God or we 
spend eternity separated from him. In order to understand the urgency with which we should reach people, we must first embrace the reality of the consequences of sin. Jude chapter 1, verse 23 says, Be merciful to those who doubt. And then it says, Save others by snatching them from the fire. Save others by snatching them from the fire. Judas, Jude, I'm sorry, Jude speaks of saving people by snatching them from the fire. Why, why does he reference the fire? Is it just because they'd just gotten done with a bonfire and they were hanging out, relaxing, doing some s'mores, and it was like, hey, there's a fire. Maybe I should use this as a, as a metaphor. You know, darkness is like the fire. Da, da, da. No. Jude is speaking of the eternal fire that we see throughout Scripture. And we must be reminded that eternal separation from God has horrible consequences. Look at Matthew chapter 18, verse 8. It says, If your hand or your foot cause you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes be thrown into the fire of hell. Hell is a horrible place. A place that God desires none would go. But the reality is we are either in relationship with God or we're not. The Bible says many on the day of judgment will say, Lord, Lord. But he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. Just because we do good things, just because we're, we're, we're predominantly nice people doesn't mean that we have an eternity secured. And while we're called to show love and mercy, Jude makes it very clear the seriousness and the urgency of the situation. He's not messing around. He says, those who reject God will face judgment. And Jude says, we should snatch them. Snatch them is not like a, a passive term, right? It's not kind of like a, hey, go up to them and throw your arm around them and be like, hey, how's it going? How's life treating you? You know, let me, let me pray for you for the next 10 years, and then maybe, just maybe, at the end of that, I'll tell you the good news and tell you that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, snatch them. There's an urgency. I remember, I think it was in the early 90s, the San Francisco Giants. I'm a, a just, yeah. I'm a, I'm a 49ers and Giants fan. I'm sorry, all you Pacific Northwesterners who are diehard Seattle fans or whatever. Mariners are doing really good this year, so good luck with that. But I was born in the Bay Area. I'm a Giants-Niners fan, sorry. And we're doing really well this year. Anyways, in the 90s, back in the Barry Bonds, JT Snow days, if you've ever watched, there was a game where 
Dusty Baker was the manager, and his son, who is, I think, about six years old, six, eight years old at the time, was their bat boy. And there was a play at the plate, and the ball was hit to the outfield, and J.T. Snow and another runner coming around, and J.T. Snow comes flying down towards home plate just as Dusty Baker's son is coming to pick up the bat. This little guy about this big. He comes running up, and he grabs the bat, and J.T. Snow that knew that he had a runner coming right behind him that was going to just pancake this kid. So what did he do is he, as he ran across the plate, he snatched up that kid and he pulled him and he ran 15 feet the other way and got him out of the way. If you watch it, it's amazing on film to watch. But that's what, that's the picture that Jude is painting for us. We've got to snatch people. We've got to snatch them away from the clutches of evil and sin because they're going to face an eternity separated from God. It's not a leisurely approach. It's one of earnestness and immediacy. It's do it today. Don't wait till tomorrow because none of us is guaranteed a tomorrow. We can't allow ourselves to be lulled into a passive approach to reaching people. God is desiring that none would perish, but that everyone would have everlasting life. That's what we see in John 3.16. Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 1, it says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are, are not, they deceive themselves. We have to be willing to stand in the gap for people. We have to be willing to be those who go to a country that is not friendly to the gospel and say, I want to snatch these people out of the clutches of the enemy. We can't forget the time is short. We are running out of time. And if you don't think we're in the end times, then just flip on the news. We've got to understand there's an urgency to reaching people with the love of Jesus. Jesus tells us in John chapter 9, verse 4, I'm here to do the work of the one who sent me, but there is a a day coming when no man can work. Night is coming, and we will run out of time. God and Jesus both hated sin, but they loved people. God hated sin so much, but loved people so much that he sent his son. And Jesus was perfectly God and perfectly man, and he waded into the difficulty of the situations, but he loved people despite the situations, despite their sin. So will we be willing to show God's love and mercy to those who are doubting and act with urgency to reach those who are walking away from a relationship with God. The final thought is this. We have to be careful in compassion to speak the truth in love while resisting sin. We've always got to be mindful of our call to be compassionate 
loving. We have to understand we're still called to have a healthy boundary to and hatred of sin. Love people, yes, but distance yourself from sin. Distance yourself from evil. If we go back to Jude one twenty three. it says, Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others, show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Does that mean we're supposed to walk around like, oh my gosh, I'm so fearful, so fearful of what's going on in the world. I'm bound up with fear. No. As we come into right standing with God through his mercy, it is our spirit that is changed. But we still have to war against the flesh. We still have to distance ourselves from the temptations of the world. We still have to remove ourselves from compromising situations that would cause our flesh, would cause our physical man to step into sin. Why? In Galatians 5, verse 17, it says, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. If we think that we are not sinning, we maybe at times kid ourselves. Have we ever had a fit of rage? Or let the anger that's welling up inside of us get the best of us? You get cut off in traffic and you got a little handy hand sign for somebody? Let them know what you think of them? Have you ever been envious of somebody? Jealous? Bound? Jealousy? Why do they have that house? Worked my tail off my entire career. You ever had selfish ambition at work? You ever sown discord? Gossiped? We all struggle with the evil and the sin that we're tempted to step into. But God's desire is that we would remove ourselves from that. We have to make a clear distinction between the change God brings about in our spirit and our need to oppose our flesh. Jude speaks of clothing stained by corrupted flesh. In essence, no matter what you try and do in your own power, you're not going to be good enough because your flesh is corrupted. But your spirit, man, when you step into relationship with God, it changes. Everything changes. We're brought into right standing with him. So we have to be careful to be led by the Spirit of God and not our flesh. It's clear that we're called to go after those who have not found God. But in this passage, Jude cautions us to show mercy mixed with fear. That we would have a sober understanding of our own weakness and frailty without the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. We have to daily remember that without God, we can't do anything. 
that nothing eternal can be accomplished. It's clear that we're to contend for the faith and to be wary of those who would distort the truth. But we should also see that we're called to deal mercifully with those who doubt. Just as God the Father showed us mercy, sent His Son so that we could have life. We should strive to see those who doubt or wander come to a place of repentance, come to a place of restoration, come to a place of right standing before God. Love the sinner, but hate the sin. You know, many of, many of you don't know that you can actually find that phrase in Mahatma Gandhi's 1929 autobiography. Hate the sin and not the sinner. But Gandhi's full statement has a little bit different flavor, a little bit different context if you read it. He says, hate the sin and not the sinner is a precept which, though easy enough to understand, is rarely practiced. And that is why the poison of hatred spreads in the world. So do we really love people? Because if we love people, we wouldn't hate or spread hate. If we loved people, we wouldn't walk around judging them. It doesn't mean that we have to embrace the things they're doing. But we're called to love. Will we be those who understand our own need for God's forgiveness? That none of us is perfect? And strive to show and share God's love and mercy to others? Will we be willing to act with urgency to reach those who will face an eternity separated from God? Are we able to speak the truth and love while resisting sin? These are all questions we have to grapple with on a daily basis. And as we prepare to close, Jesus shows us how to love people, how to speak the truth, and how to hate evil. He gives us the perfect example. Jesus rubbed shoulders daily with people who were sinning. Jesus come along, came alongside the, the prostitute caught in the midst of adultery, literally standing naked in the, in the street. And Jesus came and stood next to her. And after writing in the sand as people were preparing to, to stone her, He said, who of you is without sin? Cast the first stone. And every one of them knew their own depravity and began to drop the rocks and to walk away. And then Jesus lovingly turned and said, go and sin no more. Where are your accusers? Are we those who would say, where are your accusers? I stand here as someone who is imperfect. I stand here as someone who needs God's love. And I want you to know you're loved. I want you to know that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Don't lose sight of God, who God is desiring you would touch today. Because he wants to use you and he wants to use me. It's just a matter of saying yes. It's just a matter of having the courage to step in to the fray. To say yes, to go to a country that is not welcoming you. 
Would you pray with me this morning? Father, God, we need your help. We know that without you, we are nothing. That it's only by the, the power of your love and your willingness to send your son, Jesus, that we can stand here and know that you love us, that you desire an eternity with us. But without that, God, we are hopeless. So, Father, we, we ask that you would give us the strength and the courage to share that hope, to share that love, to understand that we were given the, the mercy that enabled us to have a place and a way back to you, and that others deserve that same mercy that same compassion. Father, help us not to walk by a person who's hurting. Help us not to, to speed past an opportunity to reach someone. Because we understand that the time is short and that your desire is that none would perish, none would be separated from you. So we ask for your help. We ask for your strength. We ask for your wisdom. We ask that your Holy Spirit would guide us to know the right words to say in every situation. That we wouldn't share our own little catchphrase or quick little thought to try and sidestep the complexity of the situation, but instead we would know that you are creating a moment that you desire your love be seen. Help us to step into those moments, Father. Not by our own power, but by yours. Not for our own glory, but for yours. God, we humbly ask for your help and for your strength and for your leading. We thank you, God. And this morning, perhaps you find yourself in a place where you say, you know what, I... I I, I've been living on the edge. I've been in that place of, of not knowing exactly what this life is about. Not knowing if my last day on earth was today, what would happen after that. Our desire is that you would be able to step into a place of assurance, knowing that not only does God love you, but that he sent his son to die so that you could have life. In a moment, we're going to say a prayer together. There's no magic in the words, but we believe that the Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that Christ was raised from the dead, you'll be saved. It's a source of hope. It's a source of knowing that God has created you with a purpose. So if you've been in that place, we're not going to ask you to raise your hand or come rushing forward. We're only going to ask you to say this prayer with us. And if you say it in belief and understand that God's desire is to love you, to save you from your sin, then everything will change in your life. It doesn't mean life will be easy. It just means that you have hope and that God will infuse you with power and strength in your spirit to live a life that points people to him. 
So church, can we say this prayer together with those who are making a decision to follow Jesus with their whole heart? Say, Father God, please forgive me. I've sinned and I've made a lot of mistakes. I believe your son, Jesus Christ, came to this earth to show me how to live. And he died and was raised back to life so that I could have a relationship with you. I ask you today to come into my heart to be the Lord of my life. Change the things in me I can't change as I choose to live for you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're excited today that we have the opportunity to step into relationship, not only with God, but with one another. And that as we walk out of this place, there is an urgency. We don't have time to waste. We don't have time to wait until tomorrow or the next week. Let me just tell you this. God doesn't need you to pray to figure out whether or not he wants you to reach. He does. He desires that each and every one of us would step into the midst of a conversation that will bring the hope and the saving power to somebody's life who needs it desperately. So let's not wait, but instead pray, God, give me the words, give me the strength, give me the wisdom to know what to say in the midst of this conversation, in the midst of this situation. And as we do, God will take care of the heavy lifting. He's got you. So as we go through this week and throughout our days, let's be those who are, are leaning in. Let's be those who are stepping in to our community, to our homes, to our families, to our workplace. And as we say every week, and it's not just a buzz phrase for us, but what it means to be the neighborhood is, is to be those who are sensing the urgency and are stepping in and saying, yeah, yeah, God, I'll, I'll step in. I'll reach. So this week, let's be those who are actively striving to be the neighborhood. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. We look forward to being together tonight for our night of worship at 6 p.m. We hope you can join us. Bless you.